0: This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was Disciple Maker, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Discipleship, and it was about how to create a disciple making church culture. That's where the episode for today was recorded. And we wanted to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Stay the Course which is about seven essential practices for disciple-making churches. It's available for free at discipleship.org rdn. That's discipleship.org rdn. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. This session was recorded in a large room, so thanks for bearing with us as some of the audio was affected by that setup. Okay, so this session,
1: relational environment. Raise your hand if you are new in this session. Okay, wow, we keep getting new people, it's good. Okay, keep your hand up. If you do not have a booklet, raise your hand. Okay, we got quite a few people. We're gonna have somebody come around to you. Keep your hand up. All right, my name is Luke Yetter one of the pastors at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. I'm also the director of our network, the Relational Discipleship Network. We've invited uh, three churches from our network to present the session in each session. So Jim Putman will be presenting the what. What are we talking about? He's going to go about 20 minutes talking about the what. We're going to have Brandon Ginden out of Texas as a church planter. He's going to talk about some of the how. So on relational environment, Some real clear application from a church planter perspective. Then we have Bob Reed. He's a senior pastor out of Fort Myers in uh, Florida, Riverside Church. He had to turn an existing church that was 100 years old. So we asked him to be here and speak on relational environment, some real practical things of how would you shift a 100-year-old church. So we're going to go Jim about 20 minutes, Brandon about 10 minutes, Bob Reed about 10 minutes. And that saves us the last 20 minutes for Q&A. On your table, you're going to see those three by five cards. Anytime you have a question, jot them down. We're going to grab those questions, bring them up. We're going to give uh, give them one minute to answer your question. We'll try to get through as many questions as we can. All right, so far so good? Okay. Yeah, we need some more blank cards. Let's see. Mr. Bob Reed, could you ask Jason for some more? We need some more three by five cards. Thank you. All right. So uh, if you're new, we've talked about uh, three topics before we roll into this fourth topic. The first topic we talked about, biblical foundation for relationship. What does it mean? What's a real relationship look like? And we turn to the Bible to have uh, God, God define it. What does that look like? And the second topic, intentional leader. What does it mean, coaching to win? What does that look like? Third topic we just got done with is alignment. Four key areas of alignment. What does it look like to have unity? And now we're going to be rolling into relational environment. And so, Jim, would you walk us through, when we think of relational environment, maybe to start with, maybe describe relational environment, Maybe with your elders, wherever you want to go. What do we mean by relational environment? And give us
2: maybe a scenario. How, many, how many, Before I do that, how many of you in here were a part of the organizational alignment session? Okay, I didn't say something that I want to say about that. So this is directly pertaining to you. Here's why it's so important in your classes that you are very clear about... Um, Essential truth, important truth, preferential truth, and what we're going to talk about and what we're not. Some of you guys were kind of laughing about how direct and forward I am on this. Here's why. When we have a life group system where I have home group leaders who do not understand church history, are not arguers, and I'm about to take a 101 class and, and say go get in a life group, but I haven't been clear. I am setting them up for a battle they can't win if I don't filter it out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. When you're in a life group discipleship system, your your folks may know the Bible and know how to love and know how to teach the Bible, but they're not going to understand. They may have. If you think it's my job to educate every group leader on the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism or church movements from the Great Schism to the Council of Nicaea. So you're saying I have to have people seminary trained at at the leadership level of every life group and ready to debate. How many of those do you think you have in your church? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? So if you're not direct and fight the fights for them, and then you don't filter these people out, but then you sent them to your home group leader so they can have a battle in their home group, you just set your system up to fail. You are the guard for everybody else in your class. Clear with everybody now? So make sure you understand that. You've got to be clear. Because if these people want to fight and you unleash them, you got problems for your people. All right. Uh, relational environments. I want to give you some specifics on that. In every session, we've talked about the importance of relationship, right? So you, you get that. We started out with the biblical foundation for a relationship, and that relationship is God's idea, and maturity in Christ is relationship. And then we talked about intentional leaders. How do you intentionally lead through discipleship, but also organizationally, and Last session, we talked about organizational alignment. This session, relational environments, it's a little bit different. We're going to talk about some specifics where. Let me say this to you. Again, one of the things that uh, pastors will often do is they will think their job is to shepherd the people, but they don't understand their greatest strength and their greatest danger is in the top of the leadership funnel. So churches don't split from the bottom up. They split from the top down. So being in relationship, I I, I can tell you this. I believe in elder governed churches because uh, and not people governed churches, meaning, you know, congregational vote. If 80% of your people are immature and you let them vote on what happens, you let the immature people vote. So, no, leadership starts, uh, appoint elders in every town. Scripture says there are qualifications, they are overseers, they guard the flock, they lead the flock, they're overseer. all that, right? But I, I've seen a ton of pastors that will spend all day long with their staff, but they won't spend time with their elders. But their elders oversee the church. Huge problem. Huge problem. Where I love what Bob said in the last session. Wherever there are relational gaps, the devil loves to fill those gaps in with suspicion. So let me just tell you, every single week at 4.30 to 6, I meet with the chairman of my elders and my vice chairman. I go hunting with those guys. I go to dinner with those guys. I'm in great relationship with those guys. So that when they go to the rest of the eldership, they know my heart when I'm not there. They know what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking it. They know, they know they've been able to hold me accountable. They know that they get to vet some things so that they understand the whys behind it. They get to ask questions, make their points, get to be a part of the process. Make sense to you? Let me just tell you why it's real important that you have an outside eldership. Especially for men. Men tend to tie their value to their achievement. The problem with with being a pastor of a church is to achieve is a mixed bag. We want people to come to know Christ and grow up. But it also feeds our ego. By having people outside the church who are not tied to the success of our church, they're able to ask us questions about is our motivation reaching lost people or building something for our ego? Do you understand what I'm saying? Much like my guys, I have a doctor, an oral surgeon. He's one of the greatest oral surgeons in America. He really is. He's at the top of the heap. I get the chance to look at... See, I'm not tied to him being a good oral surgeon. So I can ask him, how much are you doing this for Jesus' sake and how much are you trying to scratch your achievement itch?" Because I'm not in his game. He's not in my game. He's a volunteer. He doesn't really... I mean, he wants people to know Christ. He doesn't really care how big the church is for my ego's sake. He gets to ask us this, me this question. Why are you doing that?
3: Yeah.
2: Not just what are you doing. Why are you doing that? Yes. Is this really because of the call of God? Or is this because you need to achieve something?
0: Mm.
2: Do you see why it's important that you have people in, that are not tied to staff wise? Who are afraid because you're the CEO in their job site. You need people that can ask you questions outside about your motives. Because in ministry, doing the next cool thing can be about reaching lost people, but it can also be about you and me. Does this make sense to you? You want people in your life who are not tied. This is a real issue for men, especially. How many of you would agree with me on this? The rest of you are liars or wrong or just not thinking you should have raised your hand. Okay? Understanding the human condition and having people around you to protect you, your church, and the reputation of God is important. Okay? So, I, I have a relational environment with the men in my group, in my, with the elders. I spend time every week with the elders. And I allow them to speak into what I'm thinking and into my life. I. Uh, uh, we have a governance issue. The elders do not oversee everything in the church because they can't. Church of thousands, they can. not uh, So there are things that I have to talk to them about. I have seven things I have to talk to them about. I can't hire or fire an executive pastor because um, I want somebody at the highest level. I can, we can hire and fire people below that, but not executive pastor. And I set it up that way. Because I don't want a relational conflict to lead me to fire someone. I want somebody to be able to ask the question, why are we doing this? And have we done everything we can to work it out? The budget, there's certain things that I, but but I will share with them my frustrations. I will share with them how I'm doing in my marriage. We, We have what's called the four spheres. It comes from the book of Ephesians. In the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks about, Uh, We're saved by grace through faith. It talks about the gospel, your walk with God. In Ephesians three and four, it talks about church. In Ephesians five, it talks about family. First part of Ephesians six. It also talks about Ephesians five and six. It talks about slaves and masters. So we talk about every sphere of your life. You've got your abiding in Christ, relationship with God's sphere. Then you have your church sphere. Then you have your home sphere. Then you have your work sphere. So we ask questions. We believe that a person ought to be walking with Jesus. You press in and abide with Jesus. It infiltrates all the other spheres. Abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit everywhere else. So we 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 go through these questions. How are you doing at home? How are you doing in your job? How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? How's your How are you? Do, you see. It, and we, we talk about real stuff. And then we go, all right, now what, what, what things do we need to talk about that are organizational? I do the same thing with the executive team. We abide in Christ. To abide in Christ means that we're, we're praying. We're talking about how we're doing in our spiritual walk. But we're also, if the church is the body of Christ, to abide in Christ means that you abide in the body of Christ. Which means, in my, in my way of thinking... How are we doing with each other? How is your walk with God? Is there anything in here that we need to work through as brothers? And now hear me on this. Organizational structure never supersedes Christianity. Which means that as brothers in Christ, we have the right to talk to each other about real conflicts. I don't just have the right to talk to you. You have the right to talk to me. That does not threaten your job. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a tension in that. How, when do I play the boss card? When do I play the friend card? When do I, you see, there is a tension. There's ditches on both sides of that road. But you swing to one side, just organizational, you've got a problem. You swing to just friend, you've got a problem. You, you are, there is a job there. But in that relationship, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how we're doing. All right. Is everybody okay? And again, when I think of a relational environment, I don't just think of a meeting. I don't just think of the elders meeting. I don't just think of the executive meeting. Everything has to happen in a meeting. Right? So if there's conflict... Um, one of the things that will happen is somebody might bring up conflict at the eldership level between me and them or between them and them. And to me, it's cowardice if they bring it up in the group if they haven't already talked to me about it in person. Matthew 18 says if you have a problem with the brother, you go to him in person. In our church, if we've already talked about it in person... And, and it didn't get resolved. You, as long as you tell me you have the... Uh, the hey, we, I think we need to bring this to the guys because I don't think we're resolved. Great. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great. We could do that. Uh, not, just last month, we had a decision that I was making concerning an executive role. And the entire E-team said, Jim, we, agree, we don't agree with you on this subject. And we want you to know we want to take this to the elders. They'd already had private conversations with me as individuals. They said it in the thing. And, I, and they, they said, Jim, we love you. We're really wrestling. We think you're... you're, you're I, I tend to be on it's the last thing you do versus the first thing you do to, to move people. And they, they think, they thought it should have been done and, and, or there should have been a difference in the way we went. In. They went over my head. But they told me about it. First time in uh, 18 years. Because we usually resolve things. Went to the eldership. The eldership as a whole made, made, made a decision. But the process was protected. And I looked at him and go, though I disagree with you, I totally respect you guys. I'm not a dictator, and I can be wrong. Make sense to you? Yes. Yeah. So there's relationship stuff. There's abiding in Christ. Now there's the task. And again, a lot of this stuff. If you, all you ever do is do everything in a meeting, your meetings are going to be really long. So, so in our deal is, if somebody calls me at seven o'clock at night, said, "What happened today really bothered me," and we need to talk about it. All right. Now, again, if you're insecure and and you get defensive, then you'll create you'll create a culture where people will just shut up or eventually blow up. A lot of times when you're the leader, you think you think you're open. But you're not. Luke's one of the ones who uh, really helped me understand this uh, in my own leadership. Uh, I thought I was an open book. People could confront me all the time. And he said, no, that's just not true. You're not working hard enough to dig it out of people. Well, what do you mean? They're not, if they're not courageous enough to say it, then I, I gave them the opportunity. No, no, Jim, sorry. CEO's disease doesn't work that way. So I went to the guys. I go, Luke says that you guys aren't telling me this, everything, and and that they're, they're, someone's bothering you. Well,
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: He says, Jim, dig, dig, dig. He's like, dig, dig, dig. Okay, tell me what's going on. Dog on it if he wasn't right. Relational environments. Being open and honest with your stuff. Setting the rules and parameters for what we're going to do. Affirming it when people have done it right. When I get defensive. Letting them come to me and say, I feel like you're being defensive. Then it's saying you're sorry for that. This is hard work. Dying to self is hard work. I can undermine, and I'm much better at it now than I used to be. When I first started at it, I stunk at it. And I had to say, I'm oh, sorry, a lot. Okay? Now it's, you know, only once a day or so. <laughs> Depending on your personality. Uh, but, okay, so, where am I talking about a relational environment? At the elders level, at the executive level, at the staff level. Now, again... I have a hundred and some odd staff. I cannot be in relationship with all of those at the same level. So what I do at the executive level, I ask them to reproduce it at their level. And I say to the staff all the time, uh, I can't be at the same level of relationship with all of you. I'm in no relationship at all. That hurts me. That frustrates you. So we're creating a relational culture. So you're making sure that you're intentional. So what I did with the E-team is said, what did I just do? Let's debrief what I just did. This is what I want you to do with your people. And just so you know, I'm going to go ask your people, tell me about your meeting. Oh, well, I said, tell me the order of it. And if at the end of it, they can't tell me the order of it, and it looks like what we just did, then I'm going to come back to you and go, why didn't you do in your group, you understand what I'm saying? And then I want, their, and I want you to explain to your staff, this is what I want your meetings to look like. Because again, what happens is, just because you set the form that you want, doesn't mean it's going to happen four levels down. That's right. So how do you make sure it is? Right? Where there's open honesty. Do your people know what you struggle with? Again, when you have mixed staff, you have to be appropriate with that. Your responsibility is not just to create a relational environment where your influence is there, but you're trying to reproduce and push out to the outer rings so that all the way to the home group system, the life-on-life stuff, the group leader isn't just I'm the expert who's no, I'm a facilitator of study, of of of, of being real, applying scripture, not just what the truth of scripture is, but How are you applying that? What does that look like? Where are you struggling? Do you see what I'm saying? All of it. So this is super important. So at the staff level, we do all kinds of things. Uh, We have a a camp for three days. It's a family camp with all of our staff. No agenda. All the kids, all the families. Every year. Family camp. Some of my my, uh, administrative people always want to turn it into a training session. No. No, I want the kids to know other people's parents. I want the kids to know each other. I want, I want what I didn't have growing up. I hated the church. I want the kids to love the church and to love the people in the church. I want to develop ropes, relational ropes that hold our kids fast. I want the wives to know each other. want—you know I don't want the wife thinking something about my heart because she doesn't really know me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Relationship. Every Tuesday morning, we have a prayer time from 8:30 to 8: 45, 100 people in there. Then we have a training that just reinforces the seven Essentials, and we celebrate it, we talk about how to apply it. Uh, we might do some little training. We pray together before church services. You know, I walk. I, I plan in my schedule just walking around the staff. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? How's things going? What can I pray for your family about? I'm careful that I don't ask organizational questions. I ask relational questions. When they try to talk to me about organizational things, my first question is what? Have you talked to... Is this something... You've talked to them. And if they're really frustrated, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to give you three days to talk to them. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask them. Because a lot of times they'll say, oh, I'll talk to them. Then... You know, they were elevated to an eight with me. And I'll ask the E-team member, hey, how'd it go? Oh, yeah, it was great, great, great. Any tension there? Oh, no. So in other words, they were at an eight, but they talked to you like it was a two. So you have no idea the seriousness of this to them. So I'll go to my folks. I'll go, you know what? You talked to them, but you said it was a two instead of an eight. Guess what you're going to do? Well, they get defensive. They do. All right, we're going to resolve this. So when I talk about a relational environment, I'm not just talking about meetings, but meetings have to play a part in it too. I'm talking about the work of relationship in the body of Christ. Make sense? I mean, I, I, in these sessions, all we can do is kind of surfacey, 30,000 foot view, but I'm hoping you're getting a taste of something mm-hmm. that you're going to go, I need to look into that more.
3: Awesome. Thank
1: you, Jim. Thank you. What, I, what I love about what Jim is saying is as, as a leader, each one of us have an area of influence. True? What we believe about relationship is getting walked out in that area of influence. Jim is saying as a senior pastor, he's going to be very intentional about being real and creating real relational environments and holding the staff to the same boundaries. So if he asks me specifically, hey, Luke, how is Keith doing? And I do not know, okay? There is an expectation. I would know, whoever's reporting to me, I would know some specific things of what's going on in their world. Okay? If, how am I going to pastor some of the staff people if I don't know what's going on in their world? How am I going to know what's going on in their world unless I spend some time with them? So it's expected that I will spend some very key relational time with, with my staff. That is an expectation. Over getting a whole bunch of stuff done. If we get a whole bunch of stuff done, but we don't like each other on the team, that's not going to work. Okay? So that, that hope you're picking that up. So this is Brandon Ginden, church planter outside of Houston in Tomball, Texas. He was one of our, he's executive pastor at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls and felt called to go to the Met, work with the Met, help them shift a very large church, and then called to plant a church. And when you plant a church, you've got to create all kinds of relational environments. What I love about Brandon on this topic is Brandon enjoys diving into relationship and working through it. And so as a church planner, that's such a key piece to set the DNA. And so I'd love for you to share what are different relational environments that you want to talk about? And what does it look like?
3: Creating those environments for small groups and for discipleship to happen. Um, I think, again, we have to go back, look in the scriptures. And I would challenge all of you to ask, if you're studying the life of Christ, if you're looking through the book of Acts, you pick anywhere anywhere. Ask yourself the question, what is the environment that's being created? In order for that to happen, what, what must they have done? And begin looking at the life of Christ and his, his discipling of the 12 with the lens of relationship. Um, one of my favorite passages is actually in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul's talking to the th- church in Thessalonica. And he says, not only did we share the gospel with you, we shared our very lives. And there it is. It's right there in front of us. Is that not only was the gospel being shared, relationship was happening. They did life together. It's powerful when we look at it and understand that relationship, again, is not just something that is set aside. It's not something that is just programmed, done. But it has to be from a place of who you are because it is the glue. It's as Jim talks about, it's the oil that the, the, the engine of relationship happens. discipleship happens several uh months ago almost exactly a year ago uh, my daughters were in a massive car accident Um, they were t-boned by an f-250 doing 47 miles an hour and my 15 year old daughter in the passenger seat she ate this uh, the whole thing this happened two weekends before our church was going to launch now, I had spent an entire year with the core families of our church, doing life, barbecuing, in my home, life with them, every chance we had. We were becoming a family. And when the wreck happened, I couldn't think about, I, I mean, I, I spent days in the hospital so out of my mind, distraught, scared, wondering if my daughter was going to die, I, mean, I to the point of vomiting multiple times not knowing for 16 days if she was going to live or not. And what would we have when she woke up? She was in a coma for nearly a month. We were in the hospital 70-plus days. When she woke up, she had to relearn to walk and talk and everything again. She went from one of the greatest recruited catchers in the state of Texas to she had to relearn everything again. And I'll never forget it, on the third night when we were still in the ICU and we didn't know if she was going to live, I walked out into the ICU, and one of the guys from our group was sitting in the in the lobby at 10 o'clock at night his name's jim big jim nut this guy's this huge big burly man and he was sitting there And he says hey i'm here he said all right i went back into the room came back out at one in the morning he's still sitting there went back in i came out at 4 a.m he's still sitting there never said a word to me came back at six in the morning had two bags of food he said if you're hungry here it is Never said a word, just sat there. Two days later, Jim Nutt's still sitting in the ICU waiting room. I said, Jim, it's been 48 hours, man. You can go home. He goes, no, I'm good. I'm good. He goes, I'm not leaving your side, man. Multiple other guys from our group would come and sit with us. Our entire church rallied and the church grew while the pastor was spending 77 days in the hospital trying to hold his family together. How does that happen? How that happens is because the work had been done, a relational environment had been created, and our people from the get-go were understanding this isn't just church that we do, it's who we are. And people were able to look me in the eyes and say, why would we leave? We're family, we're here you take care of your family. We got this. And that would be a question that I would have for each of you. Is if that happened in your church and the pastor was gone, especially in a church plant. I mean, that that, that, that on paper doesn't work. I thought many times I'm going to have to quit as a pastor and am I going to be able to hold my marriage together and God, what if my daughter dies, and then what? And what's the funeral? I I had all those thoughts come through my mind. But I had to come to this place and go, no, Jesus, what you said is true. What I believe is true. And if we walk this out and live it out, the the results are up to you. I just got to stay in the process. And be open and transparent with my guys. When the year came two weeks ago, I was a mess. I had no idea it was going to hit me that hard. Depressed and scared and anxiety and all these memories coming back and, and, and actual uh, flashbacks and stuff I'd never experienced in my life. And I went to my leadership team, guys, and said, guys, I said, I'm not doing well. And they looked at me and they said, well, what do we need to do about it? Are you going to get away with Amber? What do you need? And we're with you and we got you. Do you need to take the weekend out of the pulpit? We're here. What do you need? It, it didn't even, they wouldn't even have thought anything else of it. Because things were put in place from a DNA standpoint for a year and two. Remember, I I said this last time. Sometimes it takes time for people to get it. So when a crisis and tragedy comes, do you have that environment? Just as Paul says, not only did we share the gospel, we shared our very lives with you. The gospel is life together, isn't it? It's not just a message we preach. It's a life that we live. And when we live that out in those environments of making disciples, it builds within your church what the church is supposed to be. So when crisis comes, when difficulty comes, we don't have to be freaked out. As scary as something is like that was, I, I didn't know what would happen. But I had to stay in the process and let God do his thing yeah. and trust that we had built those relationships. And so guys like Jim Net sat for hours with us. And care for our family. Because they didn't know anything different. That's what you do in the church. At every level. Within your church. Eldership. Staff. Small groups. Anywhere that you look. You can ask and look and evaluate. Are we creating an environment. To where relationship is happening. Honesty. Transparency. Caring for each other. And it has to start with you. You have to live that out. I had to live that out with my team because when the wreck happened, there was something there. There was a a foundation built, but it has to start with you.
1: You You know, what was neat, what was, I I went down and visited, uh, I visited our different different churches, and I just happened to pop into uh, Brandon's church. I walked in kind of like a, a, a secret shopper, you know, kind of just walked in, and the environment they set up at the, the you know, it's very relational, well, that person, Jim, I would not met him before, and uh, I walked in, and he goes, oh, are you new here, and I was like, yes, because <laughs> I was new here, right, I just wanted to see what he was going to say, and I, I go, man, I go, so what's this about, and then, and, and here's what he says, and I got to share this with Brandon later, and so this guy, Jim, goes, man, th- this is different. He goes, I'm going to tell you right now. He goes, I'm a 40-year-old Christian. I have church hopped all over. He goes, this is different. He goes, this is real. We're we're actually being the church here. And I was like, oh, really? What do you mean? And he goes, well, I can tell you right now. He goes, how many pastors would invite you over to their house? He goes, I've been to the senior pastor's house. He goes, we've had dinner. We've shared stories together. We've shared life together. He's he's just, and he goes, and they gave me a place to play. Basically, he, he has a place to serve and play. He is like all in. Right? And he's just disgr- selling. I mean, I want to be part of this team. I'm, I'm like, sign me up. right? Loving people like Jesus loved his disciples creates raving fans. Mm-hmm. And so this guy was a raving fan of Jesus. And he was a raving fan to be, have an opportunity to serve and play. And so when we talk about relational environment, it's key. It's key. That gives people places to play. Right? When there's those environments. Well, thank you, Brandon, for sharing that, man. That was, ugh. Bob Reed jump up here so bob reed pastor riverside fort myers florida 100 year old church comes in and is uh passionate about making disciples have to shift that church and that's not an easy thing to do when you have a 100 year old church and so would you mind sharing when it comes to relational environments maybe what that looks like maybe even how did you, you describe you go yeah
4: so one of the things um, that, again, as I've shared, uh, we wanted to create a relational environment, not only with our elders, and Jim's kind of talked about that, and, and as well as with our staff, and I've talked a lot about that, uh, but also, as you think about in your lobby, okay? And so one of the things that we continually get feedback on over and over and over, it seems like there, there, it was interesting because the same word was being used in comment cards consistently, and that is, this place feels like home. Well, the reason why is because, I think, is because we were super intentional at trying to create an environment. As soon as they came onto our campus, we wanted them to feel cared for. And so whether it's having good coffee and where, how we serve people from that, how, having our greeters, knowing, again, making sure everybody's aligned. So, again, when Jim was talking about alignment, making sure that everybody's crystal clear. I don't want them talking to one greeter, and they're going to say one thing. So if they say, hey, what's your church about, like you know, Luke asked Jim. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want one person having their idea and this other person having their idea. I want everybody to be crystal clear and aligned. And so, again, it was just about trying to help them uh, feel like this is a place that we had thought about you before you ever came. And we want to make sure that you experience the value of relationship. From the very f- first time that you come onto our campus so then that in the in the auditorium again we create relational uh, moments in our in our services again trying to be also from the stage we're incredibly uh, transparent and authentic in our communication and then also when you think about so at the end we usually are always saying okay so you know so here's what we want you to know so what right what's your next step and so we literally have a next step Uh, area where we're constantly every week. It's like, listen, if you're not plugged into a small group, we want to get you connected because relationship is absolutely essential here. And so the best way that we can care for you is to get you in relationship. So check out uh, our small groups. We want to help you. If if you brought somebody, I'd encourage you to check out their small group. And so again, it's continuing to keep that in front of them, that this is your next step. This is a priority. The way we do, uh, we do partnership instead of calling it membership, we call it partnership. Uh, we do it with tables. We do it. We started off with food. We just did it uh, last Sunday. I uh, had like, I don't know, 30, 40 people in there. And so, again, I get up and kind of cast vision for this is where we are, this is who we are. If you're interested in partnering with us, this is going to be, just so you know up front, this is going to be the requirements of what we're asking of you. So, everything that we do is going to be in a relational environment. When they get into a small group and they go to that that, that small group at their home, we have relational boundaries that we talk about guidelines if you will and there's 10 of them that we use and we, we walk through them and the reason is is because we value relationships so highly we're going to ask that you also abide by these same relational guidelines we're not here to fix one another when you talk we want you to use I statements we don't want you to talk about the church or people or Christians we want you to get personal we want you to share about you we want to know you in discipling relationships, when I, very first time I'll get with somebody that I'm going to disciple, it happened with a guy uh, not too long ago that uh, I met with him. And I said, man, I just want to know your story. How can I effectively disciple you if I don't know you? Right? So we teach our people all the time, just say, what's your story? I want to know about you. And as this guy, literally, he was a youth director at a previous church, another place, and as I started asking him questions, I couldn't figure out where he ever got saved. So I said, hey, bro, just help me out, you know, as you're talking about this, talking about this. Can you kind of help me understand where you feel like you made a decision to trust Christ? Wow, well, you know, and he kind of explained, it, and I'm like, still no clue. <laughs> no, remember, he was leading a student ministry at a church in another city. So I went back and said, okay, so um, if you were to, uh, one of your students were to come to you, and they said, man, I just, I want to know Jesus. How do I have this relationship? I said, what would you say? He's like, man, that's a good question. I'm like, oh, my word. (laughs) Right? Had the privilege of leading him to Christ right outside of Starbucks. And the cool thing is he was already in our porch ministry, our young adult ministry. He was experiencing community. He was seeing the gospel being lived out. So when I led him to Christ, I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, "The, the natural thing for you is to feel embarrassment. Because you should have, right, all the shoulds. We, tell, we, we always say quit shoulding on people, right? You, you should, you should, you should, you should. And so, so, so again, yeah, don't, don't get mad at me. So, so as we talk about that, I said, listen, I want to make sure you communicate this and make sure you tell them because I, because I want you to take ownership of it and I want you, when are you going to get baptized? He's like, man, soon. I said, all right, I want you to call these guys that are in your life, that have been pouring into you, and I want, you, I want them to be a part of your baptism. So then we got him in the baptism. We got to share his story. Literally, there were 10 other guys in a small group lining up the baptistry. And so when I'm talking to our church about what our mission is and what we're going after, I'm able to point and say, this is why we do what we do. It's changed lives. He was in community. I just got the privilege of kind of being, these guys did all the heavy lifting. I just got to come in the end and just point him to Jesus. But it's because he was in relationship, and the reason he came and he stayed was he says, I've never experienced anything like this before. And I've been in church, you know, he'd been in church for years. One of our staff members, um, I think Steve, wherever Steve is, yeah, uh, he he and I know the same guy, and and, uh, his name is Ryan, and he's going... He'd been on our staff, led our student ministry for a while, then we transitioned to another area, super gifted, talented guy, used to be a CEO of a company, and and, uh, and I finally came to him. I said, bro, listen, you are passionate about this 501 that you started called Beautiful Feet. It's a great uh, mission organization that he he started. And I said, why aren't you doing this? I said, is it the money? Are you scared to, to leave and kind of go off on your own? He's like, no. I said, is it your wife? Is she like just not cool about kind of taking this jump on into the deep end? He's like, no, it's not that at all. I said, what is it? He said, Bob, honestly, he said, this culture has so changed my life that I'm scared to death to leave it and do ministry alone. I said, well, why would you ever do that? I said, we're not kicking you out. And I said, and why don't you just create the same culture in your organization that you've experienced here that's changed your life? I said, we're here with you. We're not trying to get rid of you. We're just, I just want, I just want you to thrive. And at the end of the day, I told him, I said, if you're not going to be obedient to Jesus, I'm going to fire you. Mm-hmm. So you choose.
0: <laughs> right?
4: But when you think about creating environments, relational environments, it's not just small group. It's for you. It's in it's outside how you how you greet, how you interact, your team, your staff, your our, our senior leadership team, our elders. Every environment you've got to continue to keep pressing in and prioritizing relationship. But it starts with you. Yeah.
2: All right. All right. Um, say
3: one thing. On there. Yeah.
2: Um, let me let me just say this to you. Um, there are different personalities in this room. Some of you are introverts. Some of you struggle more with relationships than others. Some of you, it's never been emphasized. Uh, you know, it's been education, whatever, and you're wondering, okay, it's really hard for men especially to go, I'm not an expert in this. How would I even lead that? Transparency. You say, guys, I've been challenged with something that I don't know how to do. And, and, I, and I'm scared to do it because I feel like I'm gonna fail. But I know it's right and I need your help. Will you help me grow in this area? And let's do it together. Then everybody goes, Wow, you have awareness that that's a struggle for you. You don't know what you're doing, and you just want help and you're asking for it. I'm in. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to be an expert. You become an expert as you get into the game, and this is a new game for some of you. Make sense to you?
3: Yeah.
1: All right, what are some things that stood out to you that maybe some aha, or I man, I really like that statement, or man, that was, a, that was a good point. Let's get some feedback from you guys. What are some things that stood out? Raise your hand, and I'll call on you, and we'll repeat what you said, because we're recording. Yes? Yeah, key piece, right? If you're a senior pastor or an elder, that's a key relationship right there between elder and pastor. you got to start there. Don't expect everybody else to do it. It's got to start with you. Yep. Keep going. What else?
3: The four spheres of check-in in each one of the relationships. That was not a key thing.
1: Elders yeah, yeah. Regardless of the agenda items, still do a check-in in those four spheres. That's that's an important one, right? Yes. Excellent. Yeah, that's huge, right? Relationship isn't a separate thing that you just kind of go over and do that. It's entrenched in the whole thing. It is about relationship. Yes, it's huge.
0: I was really impressed with Brandon and the statement he made out of first testimony.
1: Yeah, that's huge, right? And Brandon was talking about what Paul was saying about doing life together, and Brandon connected that to being a church plant, you get ready to launch. Something like that happens. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be able to continue. I and mean, That's not an easy thing. But because they did life together, it works.
4: Uh, like well, the idea about the fact that it's just repeated these things take time. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times we have beauty in Christ. That only means we should be best buds right at the get go, and that's just not the case. And I think it's hard for us to. Work the difficult parts because we fear that the conflict and the actually getting to know the person means that there's something wrong with the relationship and that's just that's not how it works fear anymore yeah it's good yeah you have a couple of good points i'm
1: gonna repeat them they're really good so relationship takes time for expectation right it's not bam it's there and then inside of that relationship tension and conflict is going to happen as part of the expectation that doesn't mean the relationship is on the rocks no that's that's you that's unavoidable tension when you're in relationships part of the deal and so, knowing for an expectation, when you say relational discipleship, you know, making making disciples, right? It's it's going to be tension. You're in relationship. It's unavoidable. And if you do avoid it, it, it doesn't it doesn't take care of itself. Yep. One last one. Yes. Uh, elders,
4: leaders, to uh, help you from keep you from building your kingdom for you, and the church, for you, and your plans. Yes.
1: Yes. Right. yes. yes. Uh, say that one more time. Say that first part again. Uh, elders. Yeah, you
4: think what he's saying?
2: Yeah. Yep, yeah, repeat that. Um, that lay leaders that you have, elders in your team, uh, will, because they're not caught up in your own personal agenda and plan, they can ask you questions about why you're doing what you're doing. Because, again, you know, this is why, I, going back to what we said the other day, guys, if you're doing discipleship as a church growth thing... A lot of guys will come, and that's why they're doing it, because they think this is the key to growing this church to some fantastic thing. So they're, they want to do the right thing, but the wrong reasons. What if it doesn't grow your church? What if, what if leading people to actually get aligned and be in relationship actually says, I don't have time for that, and I'm going to leave and go to a church where they don't ask me to do that? Will you quit doing it because it's not growing your church? The motivation matters. And they get to ask you those kinds of questions. Because most of these elders, I mean, they want to see people come to know Jesus, but they really don't care if you get credit for building another church or, or building a big church. They don't care about that. So,
1: yeah. Well, that's good.
2: You know, one of the things
1: that we're trying to do intentionally is model some key things. Uh, what, just, what, made, what made me think of this is when you asked that question, I, didn't, I wasn't able to, <laughs> to discern what you were asking. So part of being on a team me handing it to Jim, you know, having him answer that. Everything we're doing in this session is trying to model what we're talking about. And so the fact that you're sitting at round tables, that's intentional, right? The fact that we're doing the three by five cards, we want to interact. I'm asking, what are you guys hearing? We want to interact. We're trying to create a relational environment, even though it's huge because we've got hundreds of people in here. But then we're doing team with a multitude of people. We're trying to work from the end backwards. Like, what are you guys getting out of this? Rather than just what we're saying, we want to know what are you getting out of this. It's a lot more complicated, and it's a lot harder to do it this way. It puts a lot more challenge on a, on a, on a time slot to hit, a, to hit an hour, 15 minutes, broken down over this many speakers. But what we want to do is have a really good impact and have our hearts come across Right? And create a relational environment that shows team. It shows intentionality. Hopefully we're modeling what we're talking about. So that's why we're doing this format. We're trying to be intentional about it. Hopefully it's working. I'm hoping it's working to some extent. You know. All right. So uh, let's, uh, on your table, there's some 3x5 cards, cards. Fill out any questions you might have. And let's, let's bring them up front on, on relational environments. Raise your hand. Jason's going to grab them. All right, I'll start one off right here. Uh, Is it in
3: English?
1: It's, it's not in English. No. It's in Russian, I just translate. And it's, a, it's a gift I have. It's,
3: um,
1: I'm trying to put it into a, a question. Um, Maybe share a little bit more about a relational environment inside of a home group. If somebody popped in, what would they? How how uh, how would you describe a relational environment for a home group?
3: <coughs> um, just some of the mechanics that that we do is um, I will always uh, greet at, at the door um, as people come in. I I try to make sure that I'm there, shake their hand, look them in the eyes, hug them, um, and and see how things are going right when we're coming in the door. A lot of times, um, Jim taught me this. Uh, I'll ask the husband, how are things going? They'll give me an answer. I'll ask the wife, how are things going? And I'll get the real answer. Um, And and being able to know and and discern. Um, But my people that are in my group know I care and love them. Uh, Just creating a warm environment for people to, to be in um in the home, try to eliminate distractions, not to have cell phones out and those kinds of things. Um, and then just the types of questions that we ask. We use the, the concept about staying curious, uh, being curious about where people are at, how they're doing in their walk with the Lord, what's God teaching them. Uh, before we ever engage in any kind of um, curriculum if if you will, we use what's called storying as the backbone of our um, small group curriculum. Um, I'm a huge proponent of it, believe in it, we use it, and it works great. So that also helps create some of those relational environment things. And then I'm willing to be transparent with our group. Um, I think we've talked about that a lot so far, that your group will be as transparent as you are as a leader. Um, You set the tempo for that. So um, those are just some of the mechanic things that that we do. Uh,
2: Bob said something really key. I, I like to revisit the rules of the, relate, of the group. Because I'd rather say it on the front end and remind people than have to deal with it in a disciplinary way afterwards and embarrass people. Now, I will, but I'll do use kind of humor. Like, you know, hey, remember. You know, but I'll say, remember, don't over-talk. We've got a lot of people We want to hear where everybody's at. What's, what's said in this group stays in this group. It doesn't make it to the prayer chain. Right. Uh, Remember that we're not trying to get everything out of this group. What I'm hoping you'll do is um, you'll text each other, call each other, go to coffee with each other. This is just the launching pad, the deeper relationship. Um, You know, so we'll just go through uh, what we're doing. And and we ask a lot of questions Um, and, and try to draw out. I wish Ronnie was in here. Is Ronnie in here? No. No, he's not in here. I actually brought Ronnie uh, and several of the, the, uh, the guys that were with him to my life group, and uh, I, I wish Ronnie would have been here to watch what was going on. Uh, my life group is um, probably um, three-fourths of them are Christians within the last couple of years. I have uh, I have fifteen marriages. Uh, in other words, there's been 15 divorces in my group, multiple divorces, one fit guy three times, one guy four times, you know, and I debriefed afterwards. What did you get? And, they, and here's what they said. They said, it's like you people have known each other for years. You guys know everybody's story about everything. And secondly, I was shocked by how well they know the Bible. They know the Bible and they're real. They just throw their stuff out. And it was funny because Ronnie and the rest of the guys, they just threw their stuff out too. Our people, threw, our people threw their stuff out and then they just threw their stuff out. They told stuff. They told me they told stuff that their own people, their own staff doesn't even know in one setting. And nobody judged them. Nobody did. It was just, it was just they knew each other and they knew the Bible. And they're like, how did that happen? Because you didn't teach a lot. You just asked good questions and you story. And you it works. So,
1: excellent. How many uh, people in your church would you consider are mature disciple makers, if you could put a percentage to it?
2: I would say you're talking about, we're going to talk about this in the next group. Uh, there's infant, child, young adult, parent. Uh, Bobby took our language and he added grandparent to the, to the stages, which I like. Um I would say 20% it would be what I would call a parent. Uh, then you break it down, um, you know, we've got a lot of infants and a lot of, even dead, spiritually dead. So we, we would talk about that. But it was funny because we were sitting with a bunch of the guys who are leading this, Robert Coleman, Bill Hole, all of that. And Bill Hull asked a great question. He said, How, if, if you were reading the letters that Paul wrote the church what would be the percentage of spiritually mature that he was writing to? And all the guys around the group went maybe 20%. Bill Hole said, I think it was more like 15%. So if you ever think that your church is going to be 80% spiritually mature, if it was 80% spiritually mature parent, then you'd have 10,000 more people who are coming to know Christ. Which would mean that your percentage would go down. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So have the right expectations that people don't grow. Time does, is not the necessary element alone to people's growth. Depends on where they started. Depends on where they get stuck. They, they have a choice in the matter. You can become mature and slide back into being immature in a moment. I in a fight with my wife the other day. I actually said, "You started it," and and she just looked at me, and I went, "I just said that out loud, didn't I?" Okay, so.
3: 20, I think 20%, yeah, 20%. Is, a great, is a great goal. Yeah, It's realistic. Yeah, yeah. it's realistic. Yep. Excellent. Can an
1: environment ever be too relational?
2: I would, say, I would say yes, because men speaking to women about stuff. Yeah, go
3: ahead. Yeah, yeah men,
2: men speaking to women about stuff that they shouldn't be speaking about. Women sharing their frustrations with their husband in a dishonoring way. But in the name of relationship. Uh, There are boundaries. And so we're talking about biblical relationship. Biblical boundaries. And a lot of people don't know what that means. I'm just being real.
3: Right? Yeah, I think having having boundaries and knowing um, the pressure... The pressure that I have felt at times to be relational with um, people that I can't continue to maintain mm-hmm. that relationship mm-hmm. of just knowing that it's, it is organic. You can't just draw clear lines on that, but having some <coughs> awareness and going in for your own self-management, yeah. Yeah. Of what's appropriate for me to share. And, I, and I've kind of used that almost as an intuitive guideline of going, how well can I maintain this conversation how? Out? Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Um, in my men's group, I'm gonna have a very different conversation with those guys that I am discipling that I may have in the lobby with somebody that I'm kind of getting to know. Yes, right. And I, because I can't follow up right. or answer questions right. as well as I could with the guys in my group, right. so I think you know what Jim's saying. Knowing that, and it's it's okay and appropriate.
2: I would say just a couple more things. Jesus wasn't the same depth of relationship with the 12 as he was the three. Right? So making sure you're having boundaries. You're not in relationship with everybody. Secondly, it's too relational if the word of God isn't central. So if all you're doing is talking about your opinions and let's be real, and that's more like a counseling group. What we do is, what does the word of God say about the subject? Let's go to, what does the word of God say first? Now, let's ask the question, how are we doing on that? And let's be honest. And then we go, what can we do to help each other be better? But it starts with the word.
3: I'll actually add one more thing. All right. Uh, is that the goal, the focus, the crosshairs is not relationship. It's disciple making. And it's it, it can, and we've even talked about this within our own network and with some of the stuff with our DS ones is being careful relationship is so lacking. And so it, within the church people, it, it's like water to somebody in the desert. Oh my goodness. And it's great. And they experience it for the first time, but that's not the goal. Right. Right. Disciple making is the goal. That's the end goal. Relationship is, as Jim said, it's like the oil. It's, it's important. It's a critical piece that weaves it together. It's the glue, but it's not the end goal. Yeah. And so being, helping that kind of, um, be a piece that helps keep us in healthy boundary I think is important as well
1: that's great so what are some uh, conversations some topics that you would have with your staff that would be like a real example some topics you might have with just your direct staff and then yeah start there just give us examples of some uh, topics some personal things
4: yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, where they are in their marriage. You know how they're doing. Um, are they spending enough time there? You you personally. You personally. What, what would you, you share with your? Staff? Well, what would I share? Yes. So I'm gonna share about what's going on in my marriage. Um, I'm gonna you know talk to them about how Sue and I are doing. Uh, where we you know just wrestling through stuff. We're doing great. Then just saying, man, we're in a place that you know just been enjoyable. and We're you know having a great time. Which Sue and I were really wrestling. In uh, our, we've been married now over 25 years, and so uh, I was like, you know what, the counselor needs counseling, and she and I are going to get away and uh, do this because this is a significant priority for us, and so we had to do that. We'll talk about, uh, I'll share with them about my kids, uh, what's going on. Um, you know, there's going to be things where where I am wrestling that, some of the stuff, like I'll, I'll bounce stuff off Brandon or Jim or uh, Luke or other guys. You know, things where um, you know because you. you want to be transparent and vulnerable with your staff, and then there's certain conversations, especially about elders, that you've got to also protect, okay? That, that's my opinion. And, and feeling like, you know what, I want to honor them, and you are in a constant situation to where you're trying to care well for your elders, you hear what your staff might be saying, and there might be frustration there. And you hear sometimes where the elders are frustrated with the staff. And so you've got to navigate. And I had a conversation with one of our elders uh, in an elder meeting recently where I said uh, he was kind of getting frustrated with somebody. I said, have you gone and talked to them? He said, well, no, they should have gotten with me. Oh, you're the one that's frustrated. Have you talked to them? I said, you're jumping to conclusions. You're not staying curious. And I said, and you've already decided what's happened and what, where you are. I said, man, you're breaking down relationship. And I said, that erodes trust. I said, so what do you think you should do? I need to go talk to him. Absolutely. When are you going to do it? Well, give me through the weekend. I said, okay, I'm going to follow up with you. And I did. had lunch with him. Tell me how it went. And so those are things that I'm going to be asking. I'm going to be sharing, whether it's elders, whether it's staff, but again, I'm also thinking about where do I want to see them grow? Are there areas that they need to grow in? Do I think they're maybe lacking self-awareness in certain areas? Um, and so th- that's all going to happen in relationship. I think one of the – well, I'll, I won't go to that one question. But anyway.
0: yep. Go ahead.
2: Um, I'll just tell you. When, when, I'll give you the prime example. When, me, when my son got arrested – uh, I got up in front of my staff and said, "I want you to know that my son got arrested. You guys knew, they already knew. Please pray for my son. I don 't know what to do with my son. I, uh, and I pray for me and my wife, we cannot get on the same page right now. Pray for us to be unified. Pray for us to be able to work together on this. Um, you know we 're going to counseling. When you as a senior pastor admit you're, you're going to counseling, you're saying it's okay for everybody else to go to counseling. Right? Now, I'm not going to give, I'm going to be careful that I don't share details. I'm not going to put, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, my wife is undercutting me all the time. I'm not going to say that. That doesn't honor my wife. Right? So you're, you're going to say, hey, we're, we're struggling right now. Pray for us. You know, I'm not. When you, I'm tired, and I'm not in a good place, and I feel like I'm being, um, I'm getting too aggressive. I'm being defensive, and I just want you to know I'm sorry about that. I'm struggling. You know, thanks for your patience. Thanks for some of you guys reminding me of that. Having the courage to do that. So those are the kinds of things that you'll say, and then pretty soon they're telling you what's going on with them. Now I know they're not just being a jerk. There's something going on, and you give them grace.
4: Yeah, I want to make sure I also share, you know, um, so part of my struggle is I'm incredibly self-reliant, which uh, it opposes relationship, right? I don't need anybody, uh, which I actually do, but it was kind of this, this thing in me. And so what I realized is that when Sue and I were wrestling and struggling and we were kind of talking through that, and I didn't experience uh, support in a specific area. I went back to our team and I said, guys, help, help me understand some of this. I want to give you feedback. Uh, I'm not mad at you. It's just hurts uh, because I feel like I've extended that to you. But then when it was on the other end, didn't really experience that. And I'm trying to understand. Um, and one of the things that came out that was so helpful for me to hear but also painful uh, was Bob... You're like Superman. We don't know how to care for you because you don't ever seem to need anything. And I thought I was actually doing them a favor by them not needing to really care for me. It was my own self-protection. And so when I had to confess that and apologize and say, okay, what does that begin to look like to uh, allow myself to need my team? They just don't need me. I need them. And I'd say it, and I believed it the experience on their end was not the case. Yes. So I had to own that and, and recognize I was creating that persona. I had no clue, but when when I finally recognized it, I realized, man, I need to allow them to care for me because then when they needed to, they didn't know how to. So I had to give them ways to be able to also care for me and I had to learn how to receive that.
1: Yeah, which was Finally, he said something good. I knew it. Makes-
3: <laughs> I'm, out. I'm
4: out.
0: Good. my head.
1: Drop <laughs> <laughs> <off> the mic. <laughs> I just feel better. I don't know why. Um, does most of your disciple making happen one-on-one or in small groups? Uh, please elaborate briefly.
4: Briefly. Yeah. Elaborate. Yeah. No, I added oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's in there. It's in there.
3: <laughs> a little bit of this is is kind of hard to answer in that because, it, again, it has to be who you are, not what you do. And so it's happening in one-on-one conversations and in small group. So an example for me is I have a group of seven guys that I disciple every Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., Um, As soon as that's done, two of those guys that are in that group, we go to a different coffee shop and we sit down and I've been discipling those two guys kind of one on two. They're like apprentices um, with me. But one of those guys is leading his own small group um, on a different day. And so I'm doing that in a little bit larger environment and then in a smaller environment. And then I talk almost daily with the one guy that is leading the group. He's on our leadership team. Um, He checks on me almost every morning and kind of back and forth. So I have that world that I disciple in that way. Then with um, my staff, it is every week, (laughs) I meet with each of them individually for about an hour, hour and a half. And at least half of that meeting is focused on relationally discipling them, where are they at, going through the seven essentials that that we talk about and where they're at in their walk with the Lord. And then 50% or less is on the actual task and what they're doing. Um, It's so important that if that front piece is done, it's just, again, a lot of that task stuff gets done real quick. The conversations are shorter. It's less stressful. Um, It's just just more effective. And so one-on-one with the staff, some one-on-one here and there. Um, with some smaller, larger group mixed
2: in. You know, just practically, I I have a life group that I lead at my house, well it's not my house this year, branched it last year, branched it the year before that, I choose an apprentice. Uh, We do what's called once a month breakouts, so the men will go in one room, the women will go in another, so my wife then There's certain parts of discipleship that happens together, then there's certain parts that happen men and women. So in my life group, once a month, it's men and women. Then on Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m., it's the men from that group that get together, and I get to unpack with them deeper stuff. And I also invite guys that um, maybe can't go to life group, their wives aren't Christians, or they're not ready to go to life group yet, so I invite the men to come at 7 a.m. with these men from the life group, and my hope is that as this relationship between these non-life group men and these life group men come together, they will follow them back up through the life group. And so, and I also invite guys that I'm sharing Christ with to that group, 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning, so that the life group and the men's group that come out of that are deeply connected. Then I have on Thursday afternoons at 4:30 men who are, have been uh, I I have. I have picked those men because I see leadership in them and they come to the group and about uh, I think I have 12 staff members now who I picked to come to that group at one time or another I have three church planners that came from or two church planners that came as just regular people I invite I saw leaders they came I got them involved in life group leading their own life groups but that was the channel by which I brought them on so I, I I have this group of leaders that I do on Thursdays that I, I see more leadership in them. And I have the regular guys from my life group and men's group that are connected together. So that's how it works for me. That's good. Um, when, it,
1: when, you, when you form small groups to create a relational environment, do you, how, how do you build them uh, geographically, strategically? How do you strategically put people in groups?
3: Well, being in the the church plant, we're still smaller. Um, We're putting, trying to, I'm trying to move it as fast as I can to geographic. Uh, But in our, in the Houston area where we're at, people's, it's just going to to be most likely more schedule based on when people can meet. And so finding location, one of the things that was very different from the culture in Idaho to when I went to Houston was the small groups meeting in homes was a lot easier and more natural there. In Houston, the the groups of four, five, six guys, or three, four, five, six ladies that could meet at locations, coffee shops, those kinds of things, maybe in homes, has been a lot easier to build. And so I've been kind of going that route more, even though I do not like splitting up the husband and wives. But if I can get them in group, at least get it started. So. We've been doing a little bit more more of that, um, getting people uh, in that. Geographically, I think it's great. When we were in Arlen Post Falls, we moved everything as best we could geographically, and that worked fantastic. Um, I would encourage you, if you're starting a small group system, if you can go geographic, neighborhood by neighborhood, and have groups meet in those neighborhoods, and that's the best, I think, for longevity. But... Sometimes culturally, because of work schedules and traffic and all the other things that people deal with, you have to adjust with some of that. Yeah. Mm. So,
1: that's good. This is a good question. Um, <laughs> I did not write. I'm kidding. kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were teasing me about last session. Uh, what happens when you bring up an issue to the senior pastor, or I'll even say key leader, but a senior pastor in a one-on-one the senior pastor buries it, doesn't really uh, resolve it, resolve the issue, and doesn't want it brought to the elders.
3: Wow. wow. You're
2: talking about church, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, here's the deal. Not everybody in here gets to live in a culture where the senior pastor or senior leadership wants to, to do this. It, it's always better if... You have somebody who's not defensive, uh, wants to hear from the people that they hired, didn't hire them to get them to do what they wanted them to do, but hired them because they wanted to be involved, and, and they thought they brought something to it, and it's a brotherhood. That's always great. That's the way you want it. But if you don't live in it, then what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. The Bible, the Bible is very clear about forgiving one another, looking past one another's faults, so when I say this is the way it ought to be, I agree with that. But, but my first 10 years in ministry, I worked in places where they didn't have any desire to do what God wanted them to do. And, and eventually I went and planted a church and, and I got to try to do, try and fail. I mean, as much as, remember, if I were to tell you that we, this is what we're shooting for, I would say, absolutely. Is this what we always accomplish? No. You know why? Because I'm involved. Don't think for a second that just because we want to do this doesn't mean that we fail at it all the time. So have the right expectation. We live in a broken world. As much as we try to do this, I've been hurt badly enough by the elders, by their behavior and my behavior, that I've had to work really hard to resolve it, and I've gone through seasons where it wasn't pretty. This is the goal. That doesn't mean we're ever going to be able to accomplish it perfectly. So... Have the right expectations. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to be God's person and fight bitterness every single day and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You're going to have to be able to do this. I mean, the supernatural power to do this comes from the Holy Spirit in spite of the brokenness. So try to be what God calls you to be. Fight those thoughts of bitterness and rage and anger. And here's the deal. Most of us don't want to suffer for Christ. That's
3: right.
2: yeah. That's right. We tell it, you know, somebody in Pakistan that they got to suffer, but we don't want to suffer through a rough relationship where we're persecuted in any way. Wow. Yeah. We suffer for Christ and we answer back kindly. The pagans are kind of people that are kind to them. So this is all a test of our character.
0: Yes, that's right.
2: And your people out there who work in the world, they work <laughs> for bosses where they, it doesn't go well for them. Yeah. What would you tell them to do? Mm. So I guess that's what I would say. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, windy, but windy, ring, ring, ring. All right.
1: Um, in, uh, how many of, raise your hand if you were in last session. Raise your hand. Okay. Good. Plenty. I won't repeat what I said last session. Then. So we're going to come back and talk about the uh, uh, next session. We're going to after lunch. The disciple-making process. What do you do with somebody? How do you recognize where they're at spiritually? And then what do you do with them? How do you, how do you disciple them? What are different scenarios? How do you disciple somebody? So we look forward to seeing you guys. Have a good lunch. Hopefully we'll see you back. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to check out the free ebook Stay the Course at discipleship.org/rdn. You'll find dozens of other great free discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.